0: what is
1: good everybody welcome to under review with me rob stats guerrera and vish kumar and a little different version today we're actually taping the show we're not doing a live show it was a little different no no interaction today if you're wondering why that's the reason why before we get started please like and subscribe to the youtube channel the gold standard youtube channel and like and subscribe to Vish's youtube channel just search vish kumarin it comes right up on youtube like and subscribe it
2: will make you a better smarter fan how are you vish I'm good, Rob. I'm good. Um, for the people that don't know, so tomorrow we're ta- this show is taped here Sunday night after the games uh, because I'm going on vacation. And I forgot to tell Rob a week earlier that I'm going on vacation. I told Rob on Friday that, hey, Rob, I'm going on vacation for a week. Um, but Rob was kind enough to adjust and we're able to bring you this show in some capacity this week. And luckily the Niners played on Thursday. Um, so there isn't like... Something super pressing between now and tomorrow that we might have missed in terms of hearing back on an injury or anything like that, and so we get the entire game to break down and we get to look forward and maybe talk about some of the other NFC happenings today, even though I didn't watch a minute of football I did see the results.
1: We're going to get to the game because honestly, like I talked about it with Michelle on Friday, but I'm so used to doing our show on Monday right after the game that like I feel like I haven't talked about the game until I discuss it with you. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, we got a little bit of news on Friday after the game because the 49ers announced extensions for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. We don't know the length of the extensions as of this recording, which, again, is Sunday night. We don't know how long. Kyle's contract originally ran through 2025. John Lynch's contract ran through 2024. So, obviously, they're going to be around longer than that, you would think. If everything goes the way we hope it goes. What was your reaction when you saw the news? Because I was a little surprised, and I had one thought immediately, but I want to get your reaction first.
2: One, let me preface by saying I didn't have – A large issue with these two people receiving an extension they received their first extension in 2020 and the discussion point of that extension was hey why did Kyle Shanahan get one extra year on his extension and John Lynch got one less year well now it's a moot it's it's a moot discussion point because they both seemingly got another extension that together which makes us think they're both going to be placed together for a while but I thought it was a little premature to be honest Rob I I don't know that it was necessary to do that for them right now. I don't know that there's a pressure to extend them right now. Again, you had Shanahan under contract until 2025. You had Lynch under contract until 2024. They didn't really have an issue with their job security where you needed them to believe that you believed in them. I think everybody knows that they're pretty secure. I mean, when you miss the way you miss on Trey Lance and nobody's even talking about firing you, that's when you know how secure you are in the business and that's how secure these two individuals are but i thought it was a little premature to extend them now when they're 3 and 0 why not just wait and see how this season plays out why not give you give yourself that opportunity where and maybe they didn't they want to just tie themselves to shanahan and john lynch and no other option but to me shanahan is the star of the show shanahan is the guy and what if you go through this football season and you think that you need something else to add to shanahan Now there's no opportunity to do that. So I guess the word I would use is premature, even though I don't really have an issue with them getting extensions at this point.
1: I think they announced it now because, and sometimes these things get done and they just don't announce it. But I think they announced it now because it's, 13-game regular season win streak, second longest in the history of the Niners. They just come off a primetime win where they Mm -hmm. absolutely dog-walked the New York Giants. Like, who's going to say anything, right, about the extension? But I agree with you. There was really no need to do this. They were both under contract for multiple years. And my first thought was, what does this mean for Adam Peters? Because I really thought that we were – when Peters took his name out of the hiring cycle, I thought – he's going to be the GM here next year. I really thought that, that that's what they were going to do. Whether John Lynch was promoted to some other you know president or whatever position they wanted to make up for him, or he left to go back to TV, I really thought that Peters knew that he was going to be the next GM, and that's why he didn't even interview for GM jobs. Because I'm sure there are teams around the league that want to hire him. And now, I mean with John Lynch seemingly not going anywhere for a while, like is Adam Peters cool to just sit back and and be the number two for however long this extension is. I feel like most people wouldn't be.
2: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. And I have kind of like a joking answer to this and a more serious answer to this. The joking answer would be over the last six years, seven years, Adam Peters has been like the name you attribute anything good with the 49ers like, Oh, this happened. Let's give it to Adam Peters. He was the one who picked this guy. He picked this guy. Let's yep. not give any credit to former GM Martin Mayhew, who the commanders actually decided to hire as their GM. No, no, no. Let's not credit that guy. No, 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 Let's not credit Rand Carthon, who's the director of player personnel, who the Titans came outside of their organization when they'd already had a built-in thing and a stand-in head coach who had been longstanding with their organization to get him. Let's not give him any credit. Adam Peters. And the joke is, John Lynch played a little media game with Adam Peters. Like, oh, you want to anonymously attribute all these picks to Adam Peters? Well, don't anonymously do it. I'll tell you, Adam Peters put his foot on the table and said, Let's draft Ambry Thomas. <laughs> right? There, there's the joking answer. Like his it's the shine is gone. He picked Ambry Thomas. He was the one. John Lynch told us. But in you know, in a less joking, more serious fashion, I do agree with you. I think his time as just being the number two guy is you know coming short but I think ultimately the reason he hasn't been taking these jobs and he's been pulling his name out is the same reason George Payton pulled his name out for years and Chris Ballard pulled his name out for years and remember when Brian Gutenkinst and Nick Casario all pulled their name out of the Niners job when you know you're not going to get a job and you think it's going to someone else, by pulling your name out of that interview, the public optics are way better than, hey, they hired this guy over you, right? When the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski over Robert Sala, it was bad public optics for Robert Sala. You got beaten out by Kevin Stefanski. But when yep. Brian Gutenkins pulls his name out of the Niners GM job with Kyle Shanahan, which we all know he had no chance of getting now, it's, oh, see, Brian Gutenkins doesn't want to work for the 49ers. And so, to me, Adam Peters, I think he's got this nice, cushy, like, just setup where everybody thinks Adam Peters, it's all roses, it's sunshine, he's the guy that drafts all the good players, he doesn't do anything wrong, all of that, but I think that What really is the case with Adam Peters is just he's just done a very good job with how he's controlled his PR and how he's controlled his perception with his time here and how he's controlled the fact that he does one interview with Matt Barrows and all of that before the draft and they write positive things about him over at The Athletic and all of that. I think that's the big deal. I think Shanahan's the superstar. I think Lynch is the guy Shanahan likes and therefore he's his GM. I don't think Adam Peters matters whether he's here or whether he's not.
1: Wow. Okay. There's a hot take from Bish. Um, yeah, I, Well, I think it's different than what we're like you're talking about. Like Peters clearly has a narrative that's in his favor, whether he's cultivated that or not, or how much, who knows? But you're right. Like I think, like Chase Senior just had a tweet. Like, oh, the Bears need to fire everybody, hire Adam Peters, and let him build a team. And I, my he quote, turned to- into Ron Wolf. Yeah. I quote tweeted him and I was like, knock it off chase. Like, no, how about we leave Adam? Pe- it's working for us right now. Let's just leave everybody where they are. But yeah, you know, like I think that people look at Super Bowl windows and they look in terms of the roster, right? All we hear about is the roster, the quarterback and everybody that applies to the front office as well. Cause you don't get these players by accident. So there's, there's a window there too. Like sometimes you just get a group of guys that or a group of people, I should say that just work really, really well yeah. together. Yeah. And I don't want that team to be broken up either. But, you know, we we don't know that Adam Peters is definitely leaving. We have no idea. That was just the first thought that popped into my head when I saw the news.
2: You're right. And it absolutely, he might stick around. He might go. Who knows? We don't actually, I feel like we don't have a great idea of what his actual, actual perception and reputation is we just get the occasional article that said, oh, Adam Peters found Fred Warner. He found George Kittle. He found, basically, if you're a good Peter player on the 49ers, you were found by Adam Peters. And if you weren't good and weren't a pick that worked out, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan picked you. It's almost like that's how the story gets written. I find that to be a bunch of baloney in a lot of ways. And finally, two picks that are directly attributed to Adam Peters in some capacity is, one, when the rumor was Mac Jones and it was all Mac Jones, there was reporting from Chris Sims, Mike Florio, and a few other people that the rumor around the 49ers was Adam Peters was smitten with Trey Lance. Lance. yep. And that's when the conversation started to shift from the media. Now people can say it was never Mac Jones. It was Trey Lance, whatever. We know Mac Jones was part of the conversation. Thanks to Kyle Shanahan. He let us know. And there was a shift in their thinking. I think the media probably got it right that it was Mac Jones originally. And there was a shift in their thinking, but it was Trey Lance when they drafted Trey Lance, like Sure. Whatever. But the point is, we got direct connection that Adam Peters was a guy that was in that corner. That one didn't work out. The other one, John Lynch, was like, hey guys, guess what? He's done this twice in his GM career. Once he said it with Joe Williams that he was not interested in drafting him, but then he was so happy when Kyle made the call and was like, We got to get this guy. And then the other one is with Ambry Thomas. He goes, This was Adam Peters. Amber Adam Peters put his foot on the table that they needed Ambry Thomas on this football team. And I've dogged Isaiah Oliver a lot this offseason. I thought he played well versus the Giants. And it makes no sense to me, given how he played versus the Giants or how he finished up versus Pittsburgh. And I don't think he played great versus Pittsburgh. It's just how he finished up versus how Ambry Thomas started that game. Then Ambry Thomas got a second start on this roster. I mean, we are talking about Ambry Thomas, who last year, janoris jenkins was signed thursday and he was playing on sunday in front of every Thomas. like it's it's not been a great situation for him it feels like he's gotten opportunities because of his draft status and there's one we can directly put on adam peters so i just say slow the roll with the adam peters hype he's this great drafter all of this we have no verifiable proof that he is and i would love for him to go to a different organization and draft another Kittle, fred warner nick bosa debo samuel every good player on the 49ers there as well because then I can maybe give him his credit. But right now, to me, it's gone a little bit extra. I think it's baloney. And I think he's just a guy who knows how to control his narrative in the media. And Rob, you worked in media for so long. You know which coaches are good at selling themselves, which personnel people are good at selling themselves. To get themselves ahead, and which guys aren't there's a reason certain young coaches get promoted, promoted and pushed a certain way. It's not that Peter Schrager really knows this guy and he knows that this guy calls the best plays. It's because he's friendly with that guy and he's friendly with a couple other coaches who are boosting up that guy. That's why Robert Sala out of nowhere in 2019, Mike Silver, Peter Schrager, all these people are like Robert Sala is the new candidate. Robert Sala is the new candidate. Robert Sala is this. He's that. He's that. It was a great media push by him. Great media play by him. I wouldn't be shocked if behind the scenes Adam Peters is just. Got the Niners media in his back pocket a little bit to write a certain way about him. Because again, never heard a positive thing about former Lions GM Rand, or Martin Mayhew, who was hired by Washington. Who said anything about Rand Carthon until Tennessee hired Rand Carthon? Okay? True. That's
1: true. Uh, and I will say this. The best job of, of massaging the media I've ever seen was Matt Patricia. When Matt Patricia got hired, this is like... This blows my mind. And as soon as mm-hmm. I saw him do it, I was like, my God, this guy's a genius. We were at the combine and Matt Patricia went around to all the shows because they're all there. And, and I was on pro football talk at the time. And we were one mm-hmm. of the first stops. He walked up to Mike Florio and he was going to come on the show. And he was like, Mike, you know, I'm going to come on the show. I want to do it. But before we do the show, I just just give me like 10, 15 minutes so you can meet me. I want to meet you. I want to tell you what I'm doing. I want to tell you my plan. I'm going to tell you nice. how I want to change the culture, all this stuff. And Florio was like, awesome, cool. He did it. And I saw Matt Patricia stop at all the other shows. And all I know is when the Lions were getting their teeth kicked in, the coverage of Matt Patricia floor, right? was super soft. Until it just the losing got to the point where you couldn't you couldn't do it anymore. And I know for a fact that's because he made nice with all the media people. So it, it is definitely a thing that gets done, and there are real effects because of it.
2: And the opposite is the coach of the 49ers in terms of how it can be detrimental. He took all the bad PR in Washington. This was a guy who was a coordinator at what 26 in Houston. Yep. You're telling me he had to coordinate an offense for eight years before he was worthy of getting a head coaching opportunity when guys do it for a year and they're getting it. Now the bad PR in Washington pushed him back and delayed that process for him a couple of years. Whereas McVay who didn't have that bad PR. There you go. Well,
1: Cause people were like, Oh, he only got the job cause he's a Shanahan. Right. Exactly. And when they were losing, it was like, Oh yeah, look, Mike and his kid. Uh, you know. Right.
2: Right. And they wrote yeah. the story that way. And then all of a sudden, how can you hire that guy who's just a product of Mike Shanahan? He's Mike Shanahan's arrogant kid who's talking shit to Richard Sherman from the <laughs> sideline during a playoff game and all of that. that. That's what his perception became. Again, this is a guy that was coordinating in 2008, Rob. He was coordinating yeah. at what, 27 years old?
1: And he didn't get his first head coaching job till 2017. And it was after his team got to a Super Bowl and his quarterback won an MVP.
2: Mm-hmm. So Ben Johnson's about to get hired next year. What's his resume? Yeah.
1: Well, great. Great for us. I like when (laughs) other teams make bad decisions. Good. All right. Um, Do you have anything else on the extensions for Shanahan and Lynch? And by the way, I just want to throw this little nugget up there, actually. I ask you a question, then answer it. Since the start of 2019, Kyle is 45 and 24 with six playoff wins. I believe, according to the note that the 49ers sent out, that is the fourth most in the NFL and the second most in the NFC. So like, you know, we talk about, I there was a whole Shanahan still under 500 as a coach. And I get it. The 2017 and 2018 still count, but since they've got the roster where they wanted it, they've been really freaking good.
2: Yeah, I agree. The one thing about the extensions for me that's left Rob is I just want to know who prompted the conversation. Oh, I'm sure it was Kyle's it, agent. It had to be right. Because if it's Jed York calling him up, then God bless me, make sure that I work for Jed York at some point in my life. If he's just like, hey, guys, take an extension like it's a box of cookies. Like every yep. millionaire person, and now the difference, I guess, between Jed York and some of the other millionaires in the NFL is Jed York was born into millions. Jed's a, a billionaire. These, or, or he was born into billions, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a big difference between billions. Yeah. But, um, and then you have these other guys who made their billions, So there is a little bit maybe difference in mindset where the other guys might be a little more stingy knowing their background, whereas Jed might not have that same stinginess given that there's never been a situation that he's had to deal with where he hasn't had money. Now that's a personal observation and speculation from very afar, but I would love to know who prompted it. Because again, why now, Rob, what was the hurry to get both of these guys extended now? Is it that they were making way less than their peers and competitors because we're not privy to what coaches make and what their salary is, other than the fact that we think Sean Payton makes $20 million and we know Bill Belichick makes a lot of money. But other than that, we're not privy to what their salaries are. So I I don't understand what the pressure or why they needed to do this extension. Now, especially when they gave them an extension a couple years ago, they are still doing well and you have them under contract for another two years. And it's not like you needed to give them more money to let everybody know we're still behind these two guys because everybody in their grandmother knows that these people don't have any issue where they should be worrying about their job at the moment. Yeah and that was before the 3 games too by the way. Yeah.
1: And I felt like there was a lot of criticism and unhappiness with Kyle Shanahan in the offseason and, and a lot of people say, "Look, I was really negative in the offseason and I definitely was more negative then than I am now. The difference is like they're so good at football." <laughs> like they they're great at football. They do, they do a lot of things away from football that drive me crazy, but they're so damn good when they actually get out on the field. Yeah,
2: well, let's, let's look at it from the player's perspective. Nick is great at football. Who was extending him with two years left on his contract?
1: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Devo Samuel, great at football. First team All-Pro. People didn't want to extend him with a year left on his contract yeah so why are wrong. these two guys getting extensions one with two years left on his contract well one with three years essentially because twenty twenty three season is barely begun it's still yep. ongoing and then one with two years left on their contract like what is the hurry that you felt like hey I, I I can't wait this out we gotta get it
1: maybe they just wanted more I don't know, but i it's not my money so I don't care and they could fire them anyway. It doesn't sound like it counts against the salary cap. I mean, yeah, Jed yeah. Has to pay the money regardless, but I don't care. It ain't my money, but I agree with you. Like, it does seem weird. Like who was clamoring for this? You had them under contract. So it's not like coaches hold out. You know, you didn't have to, right. it wasn't that kind of a
2: situation. So whatever they're there. You could have given them an extension too, but you could have just let this season like play out. Like the timing of the extension is what gets me, Robin. Perhaps it's what you said at the beginning. Yep. where it's like maybe they gave the extension a while ago and they were just waiting for the best time to release it. Cause the PR was just bad this off season. Maybe it's that
1: you're not going to release the news after they trade Trey Lance to the
2: Cowboys, right? <laughs> no, but there was a large window, right? Like why wasn't if Why wasn't the extension discussed and offered like after the season, there's a large window when between like the, when the season ended in February Mm-hmm. And when people were at their most quote unquote upset point with the organization or whatever they were upset about, and that was July, there was a large window of like five months between those two things. And the extension didn't come that I, I find the timing to be very, very weird. Because again, not that I have any issue, like you said, with one, how Jed York spends his money, it's his money. But two, yep. with these two people getting an extension, they deserved it. This is just not the usual timing for people to get extensions. Right. Especially when they have three years left on their contract.
1: I totally agree with you. And I, that was one of the things that crossed my mind too. So, you know, maybe we'll find out more. I mean, we still don't even know the, the terms of the lengths of the extension. So hopefully there's more to uncover there. And hopefully when, you know, when, when we find out, we'll obviously tell you, we'll talk about it all that fun stuff. I want to get to the giants game in a minute, Vish, but before <laughs> we do, I just want to give a shout out to slot right marketing, Uh, They really helped me create our website, goldstandardniners.com. They can help you, too, if you're looking for a website. They specialize in marketing, consulting, creative strategies, and content ideation to help increase your brand equity. They have 20 more than 20 years of experience with digital marketing. They know how to get your brand rolling. Like I said, they really, really helped me get the site up. Visit their website at slotright.com. That's slotright.com. I promise you it will be worth your while. All right, let's get to the Giants game. Niners whoop up on them, 30-12. to Apparently not impressive to people. Nobody cared. Everybody was kind of, they were almost like dragging the 49ers. I saw the Niners go down in people's power rankings. From number one, they went down. In a game, they won by 18 points, where they only allowed the other team 150 total yards, yet people are looking at the 49ers with a side eye.
2: Well, yeah, I think it's because the Giants came into the game without Andrew Thomas and Saquon Barkley and people had the fresh view of watching the first Sunday night game where Dallas had one of those games where you get momentum early. The other team has no momentum and it just turns into uh, what can go wrong goes wrong for them and what can go right goes right for you. And they kind of steamrolled them. It was kind of the perfect marriage of everything going right for Dallas, everything going wrong for the Giants. So I think it kind of created a weird public perception. I don't know about you. I was pretty impressed with the win. Now, maybe I'm a fan and I'm impressed with every win. But one, look, Rob, every Thursday night game is extremely sloppy. It was a sloppy game. Two, that was the most physical game the Niners have played all year. Shockingly, I thought the Pittsburgh game would be more physical than that. It wasn't. They were hitting in that game. Now, the Giants were hitting sometimes and not bringing people to the ground. But they (laughs) were hitting for sure. And there was a lot of big hits. There were a lot of big collisions. It was a chippy game. It was way chippier than the first two games. And the Niners on a short week with little rest coming off of two wins in their home opener were able to muster up enough energy. I mean, did they look like guys who were hitting on four days rest? Like they didn't play the cleanest game of football, but the physicality, the way they overmatched them with the physicality, the talent, they just out hit them, out compete them. It was a game for the Giants where it's not, hey, we're just better than you. It's, we're bigger than you, we're faster than you, we're tougher than you, and we're going to bully you. And to me, okay, it's 30-12, to but there's a lot of lingering, holy crap, the Niners are your problem. Because when you see a team bully another team on a short week and that other team didn't come in to be bullied, it wasn't like the Dallas game where everything went wrong. They battled in that game, and the Niners just said, you're a little brother. That's pretty impressive to me, yeah.
1: There was, I think it was the first series of the game. Because if I remember correct, the Niners went down in the first series and got a field goal. Yes. Yeah. It was an incompletion that Brock threw to Debo right at the goal line. And the linebacker for the Giants came in and tried to like pop Debo right as the ball got there. And he like laid out and he bounces off Debo Samuel and falls to the ground. And Debo like barely moved. And I was like, that guy just tried to take out Debo. and got absolutely destroyed. And I almost wonder if that was like the starting point where the Giants tried to the Rams did that a couple years ago against Debo. I think in 2021 in the final game of the year. They tried to really nail him and he just like lets the guy bounce off of him. And it's like, oh, all right, that's that's the game you want to play. Let's go.
2: And like you are not going to bully the 49ers. You're just not going to do it. Yeah, I think it was Bobby Okariki. And he comes over the middle. And it's a great example by you because like Debo knows that like this is a ball he has no chance of catching because he's thrown right into a sandwich. And he kind of makes sure the ball goes to ground and gets his hands up as the collision's coming. And it's just boom for Bobby Okereke, except he falls back instead of Debo falling back. And it's a pretty funny collision. But I'm glad you brought up Debo, because for the longest time... I was saying that Debo was the most important player to this offense. And I I think I was proven right for the three years that I was saying that. And it was because not just because of what he does with his talent, but it's that infectious energy where when he gets going and he's hitting people with the ball in his hands, everybody wants to hit somebody. And there's a different energy and a different like movement and swag to this football team. Like they feed off of him. He's the heart and soul. He's the heartbeat that really changed when Christian McCaffrey came to this football team because kind of better than Debo just about everything Debo does. And he's a running back too, which is kind of the bread and butter of this team. They want to run the football. Christian McCaffrey represents that identity a lot better and all of that. But what we saw versus the Giants is they still need some of that Debo identity and whatever. And that was a game. That was like throwback 2021, 2020, mm-hmm. where the Niners just use Debo and they win games because they have Debo and you don't have Debo. Debo had what six? You're putting the stats up right here. Six catches for 129 yards and a touchdown. That should have been nine catches for a buck 80 and two touchdowns. He he was missed a few times where they ran like plays to get him on screens, get him on a little flat route where he's coming through the line of scrimmage. And Brock Purdy was just off and missed him a couple of times. Where if you put the ball even in Debo's hands where he's able to catch it, who knows what happens with the way he was running after the catch yesterday. Um, he is a special special football player and I just hope the Niners can get him and CMC healthy and energetic all the way through the season because if they're able to manage the two of those guys we're just talking about a different level of special and then George Kittle is still excellent every time we forget just a little bit how excellent he is he comes out of his uh, shell and reminds us hey don't forget about me I'm still the best one of the best in the league when I still do it and then of course there's Brandon Ayuk who's on his way and ascending like anything. But to me, it's Debo and McCaffrey that still drive this football team in a lot of capacities. And we saw especially that on Thursday,
1: the first touchdown drive you saw it because their Mm -hmm. offense was just sputtering. And it reminded me of that bears game Third third and 15. What do we do? Screen to Debo boom, 30 yard gain. And they, you know, pick up a little steam and then all of a sudden, wait, wait, no, well, hold on. We're backed up again. It's third and 13 again. What do we do? Throw it to McCaffrey McCaffrey. in the flat. Boom. First down. It's like, it's a cheat code. Sometimes it's like, even when the offense is sputtering, all you got to do is just throw a little screen pass or a pass in the flat and the Niners block it up. And it could potentially be a touchdown, or at least it's like a big play to jumpstart the offense And I give the Niners a little credit in this one because Wink Martindale blitzed 85% of uh, Brock Purdy's dropbacks. So the screens and the passes to the flat are exactly what you should be running in those situations. It wasn't before where they're like, they just never threw downfield. It was like, no, Wink Martindale is doing something (laughs) insane. And this is the counter to it.
2: Right, and they were blitzing and playing man coverage, and people were like, oh, this is why they need Brandon Ayuk." And they Brandon Ayuk would have helped in this game because Brandon Ayuk's a great player. Well, what people were missing was it's not that they were unable to push the ball down the field. Pressure was forcing them to react and make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get into the Purdy aspect of it. Yeah, he was pretty inaccurate in this game, okay? There's, yes, there's he was. no doubt about it. He was 25 for 37. So the numbers say he was accurate in terms of completions to attempts, But there were a lot of very difficult catches to make those completions because he was just spotty with his ball placement throughout the game. Now, I think he was also erratic on a couple of throws that were almost would-be picks. And I think a lot of people had priors that they were trying to confirm on national television, (laughs) and they ran with those six throws and decided to form the narrative of the game from there. Where I thought it was a little bit different, and even though it's not that I was completely impressed, um with everything Purdy did, I was impressed in this capacity, Rob. It was what's different from him and his predecessor. There were two stats for me. He threw two, he had threw zero picks, which his predecessor would have thrown a pick when you're blitzed that many times and you got to be hot that many times. He would have thrown a pick and panicked. And then the second one was he only took two sacks. And that was the impressive stat to me. When you're bringing that much pressure and you're forcing a quarterback to consistently have to make decisions and get the ball out of their hands, that's what he was doing. And that's something a little different we've seen from the 49ers quarterbacks. I think maybe that skill also gets a little overcredited because we expect quarterbacks to be able to find their hot every time they're getting pressure. The issue is we don't see that happen a lot. And that's where watching Purdy play quarterback. Sure, the ball's placement was spotty. Sure, there were a few errant throws that people have really, really honed in on and pushed a narrative on. But we also got to talk about the other side of it, which was, in a game where they blitzed as much as they blitzed because they knew they weren't creating pressure unless they blitzed and they were trying to force the issue, the guy stood back there from muddy pockets consistently and got the ball out of his hands and got it to the right spot. It's not an easy thing to do. He should be commended for that. And he was gritty as hell and tough as hell. The Niners in a very physical name game needed him to be gritty and tough and just keep standing in there snap after snap, zero blitz after zero splits and getting the ball out of his hand every place so it I don't know how to describe the performance concluding but definitely I wanted to point that out because I feel like the prevailing narrative from that game is well Brock Purdy sucked and I don't know that he sucked in that game he definitely had a few misses but we we have to point out the positive as well
1: yeah I agree the first drive like I mean Kittle literally knocked an interception yeah. away from a defender <laughs> to the point where he did the seatbelt, so, yeah which is so great um but I'll say this about the biggest Brock Purdy difference with his predecessor. To me, it's anticipation. We all <laughs> remember that throw that Jimmy Garoppolo had to Emmanuel Sanders when Sanders was, like, brand new on the team, and Jimmy threw it before he even oh, made it. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And perfect. Aikman was like, oh.
1: And Aikman, yeah, needed new pants after that. <laughs> Brock makes, like, two or, th- two or three of those throws every week. He does. The touchdown to Ronnie Bell, you go back and watch it. JT O'Sullivan does this sometimes, and it's really cool. I like it. He'll go frame by frame and look where the, when the quarterback separates his hands, when he begins his throwing motion, and he'll check where the receiver is. That Ronnie Bell touchdown, he's throwing that ball with a guy in his face, by the way. He's hot. Yeah, before Ronnie has even begun to make a move to make a break. Touchdown, right in the corner of the end zone. Perfect placement. Only Ronnie Bell's getting it. Beautiful. He makes two or three of those throws every single week. Jimmy Garoppolo did not do that. Trey Lance didn't do it. Bob uh, Hoyer didn't do any of the other trash bags that have been in San Francisco. They didn't do it. And Brock does it a lot and it's not easy.
2: And that's where, and I'm glad you brought that point, right? Specifically the touchdown, they're running like an out and an under to that side. I'm 98% sure the first read is actually CMC, even though he throws the out, but it's man coverage. He's hot on that side. So he knows he's got to go there. And he just stands in there and he just puts it on his face mask. It's a great throw. He throws it great really early. But specifically with the anticipation in general, the reason you and I can come back and say, hey, Brock Purdy was inaccurate in this game, but he ended up being 25 of 37, is he plays with enough anticipation in an offense that gets people consistently open to increase his margin of error on where that football needs to be. And that's why guys are consistently able to make catches for them because he throws the football so early to spots that they're able to adjust their route at the end of their route and make the catch for him. And that's a little different from Garoppolo, who was throwing these balls into very tight windows, and he's kind of the antithesis of Purdy, where Garoppolo kind of played late almost all the time. But he had the world's greatest release. Like, literally (laughs) that release would bail him out so much because it would just get out so quick that it's like he's playing on time, even though he's playing late. And Purdy's release is quick, even though he has a pretty elongated motion. He does. But he plays by getting the ball out and knowing where to go with the football a little bit earlier than Garoppolo, that he creates more space and voids and zones to make his throws. We're sure, even though he might not hit the guy right between the 1-9, if we're talking about Debo, he's going to be in that vicinity and he's going to create more space in an offense where that's already creating space for Debo to increase that opportunity of that ball being completed, even if it's slightly inaccurate. And that's where I think you get that high completion percentage number, even though, I mean, yeah, he was pretty inaccurate versus the Giants. But I think in general, we've seen even through the first three games that a lot of times these guys make a lot of tough catches for him because even though he's accurate by getting the ball into the right vicinity, his ball placement and his precision as a passer is not, there's a lot, there's some ways to go for him there. And I think
1: part of it, too, is I think his footwork is really his mechanics. Because he doesn't have the strongest arm, he needs all that stuff to be perfect or really close to perfect. Because that's how he generates the, the acceleration, the drive, the velocity, yeah. all that stuff. What's the one thing he couldn't really work on this offseason is throwing motion, mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I know he did some in Jacksonville later on in the rehab process, but he didn't have a whole offseason of it. And mm-hmm. you go back and look at Brady, Rogers, all those guys tinker with, with stuff every off season, they all do it. And those are guys that have way better arms than Brock Purdy. So I think that yeah. that's, a, that's no, all I was just going to, uh,
2: yeah, I was just going to add to you while you're on the point of timing, like Edelman's talked about him and Brady having to work out together in March so that Brady can get the complete feel of Edelman when he's going to break, when he's not going to break. So that that timing is so perfect that even if a defender is there, it's just your feel, your timing, your accuracy to a spot is just going to beat that. And he didn't get that opportunity. He wasn't afforded that opportunity pretty much the entirety of the off season, like you mentioned. And so, yeah, that's a great point.
1: I think it's hard for people because it's like one Brock was a late round draft pick and people like to just think, Oh, The league got it wrong. Everything's actually great with Brock. It's like, no, there are reasons he was picked that late. Maybe he is inaccurate, you know, more often than these other guys. His arm is not as strong as these other guys. Both things can be true. The league maybe downgraded him too much for some of that stuff and didn't, didn't value the things that he does well enough. But also, he does have stuff that he's not totally good at yet like both right. of those things can be true but yet every week we're in this referendum of oh Brock is actually really good oh no he was inaccurate he had some dropped interceptions no he really sucks like it's it's both
2: <laughs> and that's probably the most frustrating part of the conversation because it's almost like you need to deliver a uh, good or bad but I can't just talk about him without it being leading in any capacity right like What we just talked about with him, it's not to say Brock Purdy is good. It's not to say he's bad. You can watch the game and form your own opinions on that. But what we were talking about is his skill set, which I think a lot of people can watch and feel like, hey, we're seeing these things happen. And that's where it's interesting to me because a lot of people just like denying reality because to me i don't know if they really care about football like they don't care about (laughs) what happens on the football field they just want a certain narrative to be driven that way because that's the narrative that makes them feel comfortable and that's why i think they take personal shots when anybody else says anything different from what they saw because they're more comfortable with the narrative being a certain way than interested in actually talking about the sport of football and it's kind of disappointing and one last point by the way on the footwork too Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed this because it, it's been on Twitter a little bit with Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, and it's how laissez-faire they seem in their drop and how unexplosive they are for explosive athletes and going through their drop and just the urgency of playing. Brock Purdy is so quick-footed, but his drop and all of that is so explosive too. He gets out of the pocket. Those three steps are quick. They're decisive. He's getting himself into a good position to throw and the ball's coming out. And that's really, to me those are the two things that I think is why the Niners are so smitten. It's how fast he plays. And then the fact that while playing this fast and all of that, he seems to have like a good awareness of what is going on. And he's very decisive at getting the ball out. So it's like twofold, right? He's playing quickly, but with that quick while playing quickly, there's no indecision because there's guys that play too fast and they don't know where to go with the football. Justin Fields. I mean, the talk about him coming out of Ohio state was, can he go through progression, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he goes through progressions there. There's no timing on how he goes through the progressions. (laughs) It's like, dude, that guy's open. Why did you get off of him? But, but he goes through progressions quote unquote in Brock's case. There's a great like natural timing and feel for where he needs to go with the ball, when he needs to deliver it there, how to get himself in the right position to deliver there. And when he's in that position and he needs to cut it loose, he's cutting it loose. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And and right now that, that's those are two skills that I think the Niners really, really covet. And I don't know that they had a quarterback prior to him, like you mentioned, that had those things.
1: You know why they like him? Because Brock Purdy, when he plays quarterback, is very convicted. With his three, <laughs> right, he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> saunter around. He's very convicted when he throws the ball. He doesn't he doesn't wait. He doesn't hesitate, right? He's convicted. He lets it rip. That's why they exactly. love
0: him.
2: Exactly.
1: So that's Brock Purdy's performance. We talked about Debo Kittle. Like, please, please throw George Kittle the ball more. I was predicting a big Kittle game because there was no TJ Watt. There was no Aaron Donald. There was no need to hold Kittle back in pass protection more often. And you didn't have Ayuke. So I was like, let him off the chain, please. And they absolutely did. And he's a freaking wrecking ball. Continue to throw him the ball, please. You mentioned Debo, how Debo can sort of pump up the offense. I think Kittle does the same thing when he gets the ball, just because of his Yeah, for sure.
2: For sure. For sure. I feel like he just doesn't get credited enough for it because Debo does it every game. Yeah. And like Kittle, there's games where he has like two or three catches where it just feels like he doesn't get an opportunity to just get the ball in space and do what he does. (laughs) But he's still a monster after the catch. Who did he have that mean, stiff arm on near the sideline where he created like 18 yards on a play that was like a two-yard pass where he should have been pushed out of bounds? He is a freaking beast, man.
1: I love it. it, It's just so refreshing. Like, use the weapons that you have. And the one thing that I was getting frustrated with people early in the game, and you mentioned it earlier, people were like, oh, man, we really miss Brandon Ayuk. And I'm sitting there like – we have three all pros on the field right now, and you're complaining about the guy that's never made a Pro Bowl who's not playing? Like, you can't say our offense can't function because we don't have Brandon Ayuk. You don't have that excuse as a 49ers fan. You've got incredible players on the field. Don't give me, we missed Brandon Ayuk.
2: It, and they missed Brandon Ayuk, okay? But I don't think they missed Brandon Ayuk in the way that people were describing. I think Ayuk would have helped. But I also do think 40, I mean, Brandon Ayuk and I think rightfully so when you look at how skilled the player is it's just kind of the player that people are always attracted to because he's pretty much an Adonis as an athlete and he's a very gifted athlete and he looks how a receiver should look and he plays how a receiver should play so therefore everybody wants him to be anointed as a star receiver and it's been a longer process than people have wanted to anoint and admit to get him there but it seems like he's finally getting there but I felt like people were just trying to be like, oh, see, this team cannot function without Brandon Ayuk." without understanding that, hey, that would have been a football game where Brandon Ayuk would 100% helped, and that's because Brandon Ayuk is a stud. But with the way they were pressuring, it's not like they were going to throw 15-yard in cuts to Brandon Ayuk in that game. Purdy would have gotten decapitated before the game ended.
1: Right. There was um, – Matt Barrows had a column in The Athletic, and he talked about how, like, because they were blitzing so much, they took away a lot of the play-action stuff. One yeah. of the only play action plays they got off was the Debo forty yarder, where he was what he was so open on that play. There was nobody like within seven yards of him anywhere close, and then he catches it and makes five people miss and runs and, it out.
2: Yeah, they, and they had to run that super wide in cut. It was a very long developing play, like they couldn't afford to do that. And so glad you went to the drop back too, because just I don't want to keep rehashing that conversation, but specific to Purdy. Like, that was cool for us, to his fans, because how many times have we actually seen the guy play real quarterback? I'm not talking about this, okay, play action, clean pocket, you got to step up and make throws. I'm not talking about, okay, four third downs a game, you got to drop back and make those throws, and we're going to just highlight those four fourth downs. Because, look, that's a good position for all NFL quarterbacks, even though Purdy has pretty much done well every time he's been put into that position. This was the first game where it's like, hey, Brock, you got to drop back and you got to drop back in muddy pockets and make decision after decision. And you're going to get hit making decision after decision. And we, I mean, we saw all the things we suspected about Brock Purdy that he's super tough. He processes the game. Well, he's very natural at playing quarterback. He makes naturally good decisions. He has great instinct and feel on where to go with the football. We've thought he has all of this and we've seen all of this in a smaller capacity. We've never seen it in a game where it's like, dude, they're going to zero blitz you 40 times in this game. And every single play, you're going to have to drop back and know where your hot is. There's going to be six guys on the line of scrimmage every time. You're going to have to sort out each protection issue and sort out how you're going to navigate the pocket and all of that. And that's pretty much playing quarterback in the NFL for most other guys. That's not what Brock Purdy has been afforded because he's in this amazing system with these amazing weapons. And we got to see that he's got some skills as well. Like he's a very skilled um, operator of the position. And you can't say that about every guy. And so that's where I think the Niners are maybe in a better position at quarterback. Well, not maybe they are in a better position at quarterback than they've ever been in the Shanahan era.
1: It's going to be so much, the rest of this year, I think it's just going to be so much fun. Cause like, it's just, we're, we're at a different stage now. Like, yes, there are still questions about Brock Purdy, but like the stuff that he does well, like the throwing with anticipation and stuff like that doesn't just go away, you know, like when you start to see that and you start to see it this consistently, it's like, okay, this is a real thing that he's going to continue to be able to do. So it, it just makes it so encouraging. So we're, we'll see. I, yeah,
2: yeah, I, I'm a little, you're absolutely right. And I'm a little bit, probably more spitten with the performance that I should be, but there's something Rob about just seeing quarterbacks where they play so tough and they're just getting hit every play. And they just keep getting back up and playing the game the right way. I mean, we've seen Brady do that. The best example of it to me is Eli Manning in the 2011 NFC Championship game. They Um, killed him. (laughs) They killed him. And he kept getting back up and making throw after throw to Victor Cruz from Muddy Pockets. I'm not comparing the two performances. I'm just saying that even when quarterbacks have quote-unquote sloppy games because the game is sloppy – I really like to see them consistently make good decisions and get it done when they're doing that. And that's where I was probably more impressed in that Brock Purdy game than I was in a game like the Seattle playoff game, for example. Yeah, he threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns in that playoff game. But shoot, uh, 35 NFL starting quarterbacks, 30, 40 NFL starting quarterbacks could have probably done that in that game. And they might have had more. Brock Purdy left a bunch of plays on the field. In that game and it's a very different story when you're playing in a tighter ball game and having to deal with pressure and make decisions and you did that and i
1: feel like there are stages of acceptance within the nfl i feel like when Mm -hmm. you're a young quarterback the first thing people do is see if you can play against the blitz can you beat the blitz look what the dolphins did as soon as brock got in there they just sent everybody they were like all right Right. kid let's see so the first thing you got to do is prove you can beat the blitz and then once you do that enough they're like okay We're going to stop blitzing you. Can you read coverages now? That's like the next level that you have to, the next achievement you have to unlock, so to speak, before like defenses will give you more respect. And like some players go through it faster than others with Mahomes, It was like, okay, holy crap. We got to, we got to figure this out really quick. Sometimes it takes longer, but I think there was an element to wink Martindale of like this freaking guy, seventh round pick doesn't have the strongest arm. I'm just going to come at him and let's see him. Let's see him beat me again and again. And he might burn me for a couple, but let's see it. Nobody thinks we're going to win this game anyway. And to Brock's credit, he did.
2: Yeah. He burned the blitz. And finally, I love the point that you brought up at the end. Cause like, to me, that is kind of what gives him the most trouble in the little we've able to see in him is when teams drop seven, drop eight and they play yep. just zone coverage across the board. And it's like, not that you make a decision, it's you have to make a decision, and then these are going to be tight windows, and you're going to have to make a high level throw. And we're going to see if you have that kind of arm to make that throw. But where I think Purdy's situation makes it different, and this is where sometimes we isolate what a quarterback can do without talking about what a quarterback needs to do in his situation you can't drop eight versus the 49ers defense versus Kyle Shanahan. You're going to drop eight. You're gonna right. f- that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And so like, that's where being in this system, being with these coaches and these weapons and all of that. Well, yes, he has physical weaknesses. I know people don't want to admit that it's true. He has those things, but guess what? They have ways to mitigate his limitations and he's showing he has ways to mitigate the team's limitations. So it seems to be a very happy marriage and we can acknowledge and admit that he has limitations, while also understanding that those limitations won't necessarily hurt the 49ers if they execute on offense the way they're supposed to in any football game.
1: And by the way, in case you were wondering, Brock Purdy last year, small sample, I know, all that stuff. But against zone coverage, Brock Purdy's QBR was 50.6. That was 18th in the NFL. He was first in the NFL in QBR against man, And against the Blitz, his QBR was 86, which was second in the NFL against the non blitz his qbr was 69.1 which was third in the nfl just make of those numbers what you will i'm just throwing the stats right uh all right is there anything else you want to get to before we close up shop do you want to get to steve Wilkes going with an extra down lineman Um, did you notice that instead of blitz i didn't see that i didn't see that five linemen is that you may have been the one that told me about that in all honesty Oh, and okay. the
2: increase of man coverage. The increase of man coverage.
1: Chad Ochocinco said that the Niners were downright disrespectful to the Giants wide receivers because pretty much they were going straight man with one safety in the deep middle, and they were like, you can't get open. And you know what? That's exactly what the 49ers should have done against the Giants sad sack receiver. So good on Steve Wilkes.
2: Yeah, and that's where, like, I again, I I, I know I've been hard on Isaiah Oliver for the third time in this show i thought he played well versus the giants okay i thought the niners secondary across the board played well versus the giants but my main question i guess is is it that the niners secondary could lock up the worst receiving core in the sport of football college maybe college and nfl included like this is like army level dude that's that receiving core is horrible and I know I'm a more supporter of Daniel Jones than the average person, but I feel like if there was another quarterback under center having to deal with missing Andrew Thomas and dealing with that piece of shit offensive line and missing, or basically missing Saquon Barkley, dealing with a sad group of running backs in the worst receiving core in the sport, where Wandale Robinson, Wandale Robinson is their starting slot receiver. Like, like that, that's where I feel like we would talk about that other quarterback differently. But in Daniel Jones' case, it's see, we told you Daniel Jones sucks. And so I think that that's where I'm a little hesitant and weary to just simply be like, hey, the Niner, the Niner secondary figured it out because uh, I'd hope that between as good a player as Mooney Ward is, as good a player as DeMo Lenore is, as much money as they paid Isaiah Oliver, expecting him to be a certain kind of player, that they would be able to lock up that receiving core man coverage i mean is, is there a worse receiving core in football man uh it's dicey that's really it's pretty bad uh
1: which is why to me signing daniel jones to a 45 million dollar year kind of like what whatever good i love it when other teams make bad decisions
2: it's dude it's because it's because what are you going to do if they're if you're them like as good as saquon is and all of that the only reason they made the playoffs last year is one the schedule some fortuitous luck too and then three is daniel jones is running and they're able, pretty much in a situation where they rely on his running. His running well, is yeah. They didn't even
1: run with him. He had one carry from one yard in the first half, and he finished with like let's see, I got it right here in front of me. He's two carries for five yards. Dude, it was they
2: were they they weren't going to run with it. Did you see the way they called the game? They were trying to get out of the game and hope that their quarterback doesn't have a broken elbow. <laughs> where they could get out of the game. They called one play action deep drop where they had yep. a little Hassan Reddick, Nick Bosa situation with their own version of Tyler Croft. And Daniel Jones got killed on that play. He got killed when he even came off the play action drop. So, like, to me, it was like, all right, let's just call a bunch of screens. Hope we get a few turnovers. Hope Wink Martindale blitzes Purdy into making a mistake because, dude, they had no chance of blocking the Niners. Front. Javon Hargrave dominated that football game.
1: Javon Kinlaw in a very limited role, is doing excellent work right now. And I have to say, I didn't think his knee was going to hold up. And, again, it's week three, so who knows if it will. But knock on whatever you want to knock on. He's doing work right now. So credit to Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Also, I want to get this stat in before we go. 13 straight regular season wins for the 49ers. No game in that streak with more than one turnover. That's the longest streak in the history of football. And yeah, some interceptions are dropped or whatever, but that happens to every team and nobody's been able to do it longer than the 49ers have been able to do it. And that was a big problem for this team under Kyle Shanahan before last year, they had a negative turnover differential by a lot. It was almost negative 40 at one point. They have seemingly cleaned that up and whether it's greasy or Shanahan or Purdy or whoever you want to give credit to when you do something that nobody else in the history of football has ever done, you deserve credit.
2: Yeah, 100%. But instead of credit, what they're getting is you didn't win the way we wanted you to win. It didn't look like when you beat the Panthers 51 to 10 that one time. So Mm -hmm. therefore, we're really pissed off. That's what they're getting instead. Yep. The Niners
1: will go down in people's power rankings. Watch. Miami will be up there. Um, All these teams, whoever wins the Monday nighter between Tampa Bay if Philly wins, they'll be up. The Niners are going to go down in people's
2: power rankings. You You know what? The question that aggravates me the most, too, about it is like, Should a super bowl team really look like that versus the Giants on Thursday night? Like, dude, what the hell are we talking about when people (laughs) say that? Like, did forget, forget the last year's Super Bowl where the two one seeds made it. The Rams went from seven and one to seven and four the year they won the Super Bowl. They lost an ugly, ugly um sunday night game i i know the titans were the one seed but they lost an ugly sunday night game to the titans mm-hmm. their season was teetering a little bit the niners blew them out again i know niners are a very good team but again they blew them out it did not look like a super bowl team midway through the year the year before that how did the bucks look midway through the year when they lost to the saints twice people were ready to write brady's eulogy at that point and then they had a very favorable end of the schedule they bounced back found a rhythm and then Drew Brees single-handedly gave them a trip to the Super Bowl by throwing that game and being horrible <laughs> versus them. And then the year before that, the Chiefs themselves, like Mahomes getting hurt, the crack kneecap, they went through some adversity in the middle of the year. The year before that, like every single one of these teams, dude, they go through something. Like Super Bowl teams don't look like the freaking 2007 Patriots where it's 18 games, straight games of just blowing out who's in front of you.
1: Right. And by the way, like – If I told you nothing about the game, if I, if you saw the schedule and I said the Niners were going to hold the Giants to three of 12 on third down to 150 total yards to time of possession of just under 21 minutes in the game, would you have called that a disappointing victory? Would you have called that unimpressive? No, but yeah, that's exactly what happened. And oh, by the way, the 49ers put up 30 points again, ho-hum, had the ball for 40 minutes in the game put up 441 total yards of offense and got 39 are, carries. Right. And people are just like, "Eh, okay, like it blows my mind, but whatever. That's fine. The wins counts. I don't care if people think it's impressive or not. The win counts. They're 3 and 0, and after Monday night, there's only going to be two undefeated teams in the NFC. One's going to be the winner of the Monday nighter between the Bucks and the Eagles, and the other's going to be the 49ers. So if you don't think they're impressive, you can kiss my ass cuz I don't really care.
2: Dude, they ran damn near 80 plays on a short week on offense.
1: And it was huge because the Rams ran almost 80 plays the week before. The defense was on the field (laughs) for like 78 plays, something like that. So this was a vacation. I think Nick Bosa played 39 snaps in the game because the Giants just were never on the field. It's exactly what they
2: needed after that game against the Rams. Yeah, and I expect the big Bosa bounce back game to come week four. Like, this is the game. Like, I know Bosa looked really good, and I thought he actually looked pretty good, too, in week two game. He um, did. Versus the Rams, but, like, whatever. But, like, in terms of Bosa, like, really coming back and everybody being like, holy shit, Nick Bosa. Oh, yeah, he's still the best player or one of the best defensive players in the sport. Like, all of that. I think it's going to be this game. You get him the longer rest. The early Thursday night gives him, like, kind of like a bi-week feel. And you give him the rest, he's now in somewhat better football shape. He's now hit. He's got his pads on, all of it. He's got his feet under him. Yeah, I think I think this is ideal. I think this is ideal. Good.
1: Tune it up for the Cardinals, and then we'll see you against the
2: Cowboys the week after. Yeah, oh right. man, that game is gonna be so fun. And I is hope the Cardinals I- a tune up now.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Although I they have had some good first halves. I'll say that. Like they came out against the Giants and looked really good. I mean, they've scored, well, let's see, they scored 16, 28, 28. With a backup quarterback, too. Let's not forget. It's not like they got caught. Not just market. a
2: backup, dude. Not just a backup. A backup who was signed in August. <laughs> or traded for in August.
1: Right, Josh Dobbs. Yeah. I mean, he was 17 to 21 today, 189 yards, threw a touchdown, no picks. Hey, whatever. Good. Then What we'll do you get- mean, whatever? We'll get credit for beating the Cardinals. I'm fine with that. Dude, okay.
2: we've been complimenting seventeen of twenty-one for two hundred yards, a touchdown, <laughs> and for the last eight years.
1: Well, some of us have in a Not win. All. Yeah. So anyway, dude, that's
2: our that's our that's our that's our performance right there. Not replace anymore. the replace the name with any quarterback of the 49ers in the last seven years in a win, and that's typically the stats.
1: Not anymore, baby. <laughs> Let's hope anyway, let's hope that keeps rolling, but three and zero, going to be one of the top teams in the NFC after three weeks right now, everything is good in 49 land. And I keep telling people do not take this for granted. Eventually at some point it's going to turn, enjoy it now. And let's see how far we can go with this thing. Vish, thank you very much for finding time to squeeze the show in. I really appreciate it. Um, it's, I know that, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on and this is, not your main gig like it is for me. So I'm very, very appreciative. Like and subscribe to Vish's YouTube channel. Just search Vish Kumaran, K-U-M-A-R-A-N on YouTube. It pops right up. You will be much better off as a football fan for it. Like and subscribe to the Gold Standard Network as well. Uh, Sorry, you look like you want to say something.
2: No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I I just like how you finished it off. Yeah, I appreciate
1: it. All right, everybody. Well, enjoy the rest of your Monday, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.